Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. 3-1 pitch, swing and a drive. Deep to right field, way up there, way out of here. Goodbye, baseball. Eight strikeouts for the King tonight and make it... 23 consecutive scoreless innings for Felix. Strike three called on the outside corner, and there it is. It's time for the Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Kyle Seager, that just happened. Thank you very much. Now, here's your host, Gary Hill. Well, here we go. You ready for this weekend? At Mariners Pod, thanks for being here once again. Oh, I think one is the number to keep in mind as we get ready for the ball game tonight. Mariners getting set to take on the Oakland A's for three. We'll talk about the number one in just a moment. We're going to connect with Alex Hall coming up in a few minutes as we get ready for the series against the A's. He's going to give us a good primer. Mariners haven't seen the A's in a long time, and there's been a lot of changes with the Oakland A's. So, we're going to connect with Alex Hall, who's going to give us the lowdown on the Oakland A's and what is going on with Oakland right now. So that's going to come up in a few minutes. Looking forward to that. Also something really up that I think you'll like. I've played it before. It's when Edwin Diaz first came up. But I think with everything he has done, and for those that missed it, it is very much worth replaying. Aaron Goldsmith. A conversation with the scout who first saw Edwin Diaz. It is magnificent. And I just think given, given everything that Edwin Diaz has done and the context of everything he has done, I, I think we'll all enjoy this conversation even more than the first time around. So that comes up in a few minutes as well. So this is going to be another fun one. And, of course, we have – the number one to talk about. And the number one, what does that mean? When you look at the standings, you look at the wild card standings, the Mariners one game back heading into tonight for the second wild card. We're going to talk on Monday. So there's three games between now and then. Who knows where the Mariners will be when we talk again on Monday. Right now, the Mariners a game back. Boston holding the second wild card position. Detroit ahead of the Mariners by half a game. So the Mariners knocking on the doorstep. Sixth game winning streak. Longest in the American League. Second longest in baseball to the Cubs, who have now won 10 in a row after winning in extra innings last night. Here's how it shapes up this weekend. And it's time to really dial in 
to other teams, not only in the West with Texas and Houston, but also the East, a big factor as well in terms of the wild card because Toronto, Baltimore, and Boston are all kind of in the same mix for the division and the two wild card spots. So time to pay attention to them as well. Toronto will take on Houston coming up for three games. So that's one to watch. Good and bad will happen uh, each game with wins and losses in that series. Texas will take on Detroit. That's good and bad as well. Obviously, a win and a loss will be had in each one of those ball games. Mariners still trailing Detroit by half a game. Baltimore will be at San Francisco for the weekend, and Boston will be at Arizona for the weekend. So that's how that shapes up. And, of course, the Mariners will take on the Oakland A's. It's been a very interesting stretch for the Oakland A's. And again, we'll talk about it more in depth in a moment with Alex Hall, but this is an A's team that has struggled for the most part in August, swept by Cleveland in a three-game series. They lost two of three to the Angels after that on the road. They returned home, swept by the Cubs, but then they turned it around and took uh, three of four from Baltimore in the most recent series. They lost yesterday. And what's interesting about yesterday, and this is something to watch and could be a factor in this series, it was a bullpen day yesterday for Oakland. They didn't have a starter. Their bullpen went nine innings in that one. That's going to knock a couple of pitchers at least out of the box for the game tonight. So Mariners certainly with an advantage there. A's playing yesterday using their bullpen. The Mariners with the day off, a much-needed day off, especially from the bullpen perspective. But Oakland played Baltimore well, beating them 3-2, 2-1, one, and 1-0 before losing a slugfest yesterday. Different-looking team with the trade deadline. Again, we'll get to them in just a couple of minutes. For the Mariners, Miranda will take his second start in a Mariners uniform tonight, 7:05 first pitch. Sean Manaya will go for the Oakland A's. The lefty this year for Oakland, 3-7 with a 4-5-8 ERA. His last start against the Cubs, pretty good one, especially against that offense. Six innings, six hits, and a couple of runs. He's, he's been up and down. There is times he has been absolutely brilliant. Against the Astros, seven scoreless. Against Tampa Bay, just a handful of starts ago, eight scoreless innings. So he has really shined and had some impressive moments. Faced the Mariners once this year in his second start. Went five innings, gave up seven hits and four earned runs. But you go back to the beginning of June, so it's a nice long stretch, and he has a 3-3-9 ERA. 66 and a third innings, 64 hits, and 62 strikeouts. 11 home runs along the way. So... His numbers dating back to June, pretty good. So he's pitched well. The Mariners will face him in game one. In game two, they're going to face Kendall Graveman, and Graveman has been outstanding for the Oakland A's. He has been their best pitcher, especially with the kind of year that Sonny Gray has had. Sonny Gray has just had consistent struggles all year long. He's currently on the disabled list, so the Mariners won't see him. Hisashi Iwakuma, though, has been outstanding, and he'll take the ball in the second game. Saturday, 6.05 first pitch. Iwakuma, 13-7, a 3.79 ERA. Kendall Graven overall, the numbers really don't jump out. 8-7 with a 4.29. 
But if you dig a little bit deeper, you find out that he has been on a huge roll and easily the A's most consistent pitcher. Last time out against Baltimore, went seven innings, gave up one run. Time before that, it was a struggle against the Angels, six earned and four innings, but really turned in an excellent July where he didn't give up more than three earned runs in any start, a 2.68 ERA for the month. Opponents just batted 219 against him. So that should be a really good matchup with Iwakuma going against Graveman in game two of the series. And then on Sunday to wrap things up, Zach Neal will take the ball for the A's and Wade LeBlanc will go for the Mariners. And every time LeBlanc takes the mound, magic tends to happen. <laughs> I mean, you look at what's happened when he pitches the home run against the White Sox, the walk off, the walk off against the Cardinals, uh, had the big home run with Cano, the three-run blast in the eighth inning. Last game as well, Seager, the blast in the eighth as the Mariners win it in extra innings. For some reason, for whatever reason, every time he takes the mound, something huge happens. He keeps the Mariners in the game long enough for the Mariners to pull off an amazing victory. It has happened time and time again. Meanwhile, for Neal, he just has two starts under his belt. He has spent this year... Uh, parts of this year in the big leagues, a rookie. Last time out against Baltimore, pitched well, five and a third, gave up one run. He has started twice in the big leagues, and one of those starts against the Mariners on May 25th. And the Mariners would love a repeat of that start. Mariners won that game 13-3 to as Neal got blasted. Four innings, eight hits, and seven runs he gave up two home runs in the ball game. Both of them were to Adam Lind. So, Mariners and A's, three games this weekend. We'll be watching the scoreboard as well. Mariners, one game back of Boston for the second wild card, a half game back of Detroit, and really not that far behind Baltimore. Texas, six and a half back as well. So the Mariners try and continue the momentum on the road. Now, get us ready for the A's series. Let's talk to Alex Hall. Well, the Mariners, of course, playing great baseball. Winners of six in a row now head out onto the road. And really interesting times for the Oakland A's. And whenever we have questions about the A's, we have a go-to guy. Alex Hall is the one we go to, athleticsnation.com. Alex, it's great to talk to you once again. It seems like it's been a long time since we talked Mariners A's. Here's how long it's been. I have good news, Mariners fans. You're going to miss new A's ace Ross Detweiler in this series. You won't have to face him. <laughs> that is good news. No, it's really been an interesting run for the A's because you look at it's been a struggle for most of August, swept by Cleveland. The Angels take two of three. The Cubs sweep the A's, but all of a sudden they take the first three games against Baltimore. What is going on with the Oakland days in a general sense right now? Eh, sometimes that's the life of the last place team. You, you surprise everyone every couple of weeks by beating up on a good team. You know, any, any baseball team is going to win some games along the way. But this group in particular has been frustrating to watch this year because it feels like they could have been a bit more but for their starting rotation. They weren't going to be a playoff team, and, and most of us did not expect that you know, to be the case heading into the year. But, you know, we saw the possibility for like a 500 team, you know, building your way back up towards uh, success in the near future. But this starting 
rotation just absolutely collapsed. Of course, starting with Sonny Gray at the top, who has just not been himself all year. No one's quite sure why his pitch selection still seems off. He's gone on a couple of quick DL stints, but nothing, no major injury. So it's still just weird why he would have an ERA close to six four months into the season with the peripherals to match, frankly. It's not even like a fluky, you know, lots of hits or something like that. Uh, after him, you've, Jesse Hahn has gone on the DL. Uh, uh, Chris Bassett went down with Tommy John. Felix DeBron, two guys went down with Tommy John basically before the season even started. Bassett only made a couple of starts in April. And then on top of that, all of the new guys like Sean Manaya and Dylan Overton and Daniel Mengden, some of these new prospects they've brought up to fill in those rotation spots have had the kinds of growing pains you would expect out of rookie starters. Not to say that they haven't had their moments. Manaya in particular is actually starting to look real good these last couple of months. But they're still rookies this year, and so they've taken their lumps and they've had some bad games. And so what it's meant is through it all, more often than not, you turn on that eighth game and you're going to see the starter knocked out after three innings, and now you're just going to have a mop-up bullpen game for the rest of it. And it can be a tough one to watch like that. It still, you can make an argument it's better than last year when you'd watch a real good game for eight innings and then the bullpen would come in and blow it every time. The bullpen is much better this year, but that starting rotation has tanked the season. Mariners and A's will play quite a bit here down the stretch. What do you think Sonny Gray is going to look like these final, I guess, month and a half of this season? There's Honestly, we're going to have to wait and see. First off, we'll have to wait and see how much he even pitches from here on out. It doesn't sound like any big deal, this, this current DL stint, just a little muscle strain. But, you know, these things, you never know with pitcher injuries. One thing will turn into another thing. Things escalate. Um, he came back from his last stint pretty quick, and it seemed fine. The health just hasn't seen from afar to be the problem. Um, if he gets back, if he gets back up there for the rest of the year, I just, I, don't, I just have a bad feeling you're not going to see much different. Uh, my hope would be that whatever is ailing him, whether it's some underlying physical thing or, or whatever it could be, you know, sleep it off in the off season, come back next year because we we know what he can do. You know, we've seen what what, what his talent is, uh, and we've seen him translated into into real life success. So we know he can do it. Um, at this point, I'm just hoping that it comes back next year. Yeah, and it was an interesting trade deadline. For Mariner fans that didn't watch the A's closely, detail exactly what happened with the A's because the Mariners won't be facing a familiar face they have seen for a number of years now. That's right. There's a lot of guys that you could make arguments would get traded, but the two big ones all along were always going to be Rich Hill and Josh Reddick. Those were the two uh, impending free agents, best pitcher and the best position player on the team, uh, you know, with Sonny not being himself, Rich Hill was hands down the best pitcher that the A's had this year. So you knew that if they were if they were in last place like they were, those two guys were probably going to go. There were whispers. There were negotiations with each. Both both of them were guys the A's were actually legitimately willing to extend for, for various, you know, usually you think of the A's always selling off the star. They do like to keep a fan favorite now and then. Reddick almost, almost had a match for that. And then Rich Hill. Um, is, is enough of that kind of flawed, you know, injury-prone kind of guy that they could probably actually afford him, unlike, you know, a 30-year-old Dynamo. They could actually afford to keep Rich Hill potentially. Um, some of us think they might even make a run at bringing him back next year. Mm. But those two guys, at this point, you know, 10 games under 500, give or take, those guys had to go for, for a good return. And the A's did just that. They got, you know, 
They could have gotten more in better circumstances. You know, Reddick missed a month on the DL this year. That hurt his numbers. Hill was down with a blister right then at the deadline. He still hasn't pitched for the Dodgers yet. So certainly that lowered their value, lowered the return of it. But they still got three good-looking pitching prospects. And at the end of the day, it's that versus, at best, a couple of qualifying offers. The Angels, uh, of course, uh, kind of down there with the A's, but you look at the top of the division, the Astros still hanging around, the Mariners there, the Rangers are there, Oakland will have their say in how this division falls. When you look at this division right now, how do you see it playing out? I'll tell you what, last year I tried to pick the division and I think I got it exactly backwards. <laughs> uh, absolutely top to bottom. I think I, I put every team or close to it uh, in the absolute opposite. Um, you know, I, I like the Astros coming into the year. Uh-huh. Some things haven't worked out for them. Some of the guys, you know, they, they got to that point where they had the young core and then they had to pick some veterans to put around them. And they just picked the wrong one. Um you know, Carlos Gomez uh, clearly hasn't worked out. Scott Casimir didn't do anything for them when they acquired him last year. Mm. It's just the way it goes. Uh, but, you know, I would hope for their sake that they could bounce back and, and give it a better go next year because they did put in their dues. You know, they, they deserve a couple of good years, right? Yeah. Um, uh, you know, the Rangers have looked awful good all year, but the Mariners, you know, the Mariners uh, have them in, in run differential for, for folks who care about that. Um, Seven-game lead is not insurmountable. Um, but the Rangers sure do seem strong, and, and they have those – well, they have fewer reinforcements now that they made a couple of trades, but now what they have instead is the guys they traded for, like uh, like Luke Roy. What do you think – when you look at the A's here in the last month and a half, if they're going to give teams in the division problems down the stretch, what do you think has to happen for the A's to play well? Well, like any rebuilding team at the end of the season, the first thing is – you know, the the prospects you bring up, how do they do in their first trials? Do they need that first couple of months to just suck completely and just go 0 for 50 and then, you know, get it all out and then, you know, come back next spring and look good? Or do they come hot out the gate and have that big September that you spend all offseason talking about and hope that it carries over to next year? So, the, yeah, the prospects are going to be big. But like we were saying before, it's going to be that starting rotation because right now what's happening is uh, – so many guys are either you know getting hurt or getting hurt at the same time. They'll lose two guys to the DL in a week, and that's happened several times this mm-hmm. year. Losing two starters at once is just so much harder. You've usually got one good backup you know in mind, but then to have two, you often don't. Um, so then that's how you get a week like this, where all right, Kendall Graveman went on Monday, and he's good. He's actually having a pretty a pretty good year. He's he's back up to about league average. He's he's pretty hot. He's looking like a number three, number four guy. Um, you got him on Monday. He was good. And then the next three days were Zach Neal, whom you haven't heard of for good reasons, uh, Roth Detweiler, who we remarked on earlier, and then uh, reliever Andrew Triggs today in just a straight-up bullpen game, just a we aren't even going to have a starter. We're just going to put out relievers for the entire game. That's been the last four games. It's actually worked amazingly well just – you know, for some reason, they beat the Orioles up. That's that's the way it goes in baseball. Sometimes the bad team wins, but it gives you an idea of how much trouble they're having filling up these rotation spots. Yeah. So, in order for the A's to spoil anyone down the line, that's going to need to stabilize. 
you, you know, there's going to be days when you can throw out a Detweiler or, or a, a, you know, a, a Zach Neal kind of guy. And, yeah, you'll get that day where they sneak up on the other team and they have a, a, a big start and it's nice. But then they're going to have three bad ones after that, almost certainly. And so if the A's want to spoil anyone, Manaya and Graveman, those are the two starters who are still standing. And, like I said, both of them are having great second halves. They're really looking good uh, in the last couple of months. Um, but then after that, who's going to step up? Is uh, is Daniel Mengden going to come back and make some more starts? Is Sonny going to come back and look recovered? Are they going to, you know, someone like like uh, Dylan Overton is another prospect they've come up to try out. He currently has the highest home run rate in Major League history, uh, minimum 20 innings. Are you going to come up and maybe do a little better than that? Mm-hmm. So if they can get some of these pitching prospects to do anything in the last couple of months, Seems like that's you know they live and die on starting pitching, and and that's going to be the case you know again down the line here. What kind of year has Marcus Simeon had for Oakland? I'll tell you what I think when we talked at the beginning of the year, I think you asked me for a couple of breakout guys. I'm pretty sure Simeon is one of the ones I gave you. Um, he is in basketball. They have the three and D guy where. Most, where he just kind of stands around on the outside, he just makes three-pointers and, and plays defense, but then that can be like a really good role player. That's like what he's becoming in my eyes. Obviously, the defense is still not that great, but he's playing at shortstop. So, you know, even average defense is, is a, a plus there. Mm-hmm. Um, but he is just pounding home runs this year. He's got 23 homers this year. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's not a number that a lot that's, – that's a number that's going to surprise a lot of people when they hear it. He's not hitting for a high average, you know – Strikeouts are uh, getting up there, but not a problem. Um, the home runs have been enough to carry an otherwise down year to an above-average line, and now he's playing a totally decent shortstop. He's he's not you know he's not a he's not a star out there. He's not going to win a Gold Glove, but you know last year he's leading the world in errors, and he's he was an absolute joke at shortstop last year. And he put in the work. This guy has a work ethic uh, like no one's even seen. You know, he, he, this guy gets daily just rave reviews from everyone for for how hard he works at uh, uh, at improving this defense, and, and it's it's paid off like it like it does for few guys. Not many guys improve this much on the job. He now looks like a legit major league shortstop. He makes the plays, um, and so now you're talking about a guy who plays decent shortstop. He's going to hit 30 homers this year, and even if you stop there, you've described a pretty good player. Yeah, he's still only 25. If he just hits 260 next year, you're talking about an all-star, you know? Oh, no doubt. And you mentioned it. We see every time the Mariners and A's get together, he's out there early with Ron Washington uh, doing different drills and fielding and everything else, and he's certainly put in the work. You're right about that. Finally, It's really become a national story, that whole that whole work with, with Washington and everything. Yeah, no, every time. It's consistent. Every single time the Mariners and A's play, they're out there early getting the work in. It's it's impressive. There's, a net, there's another – Another picture on his Twitter about it today. This is another one just to show. Still doing it. <laughs> and finally, the only American League bullpen that's been better than the Mariners in terms of ERA in August has been the A's bullpen. Ryan Madsen, of course, has had a really nice year at the back end of the bullpen. Who are some of the other guys that have been key for Oakland out of the pen this year? The A's have been winning so, so few games lately. I keep forgetting that Madsen's there because they never <laughs> actually end up needing to use him. The standout this year has been Ryan Dole. He was a 32nd round draft pick a few years ago, the kind of guy that you don't even think twice about. Um, and then he just 
kept working his way up. You know, a couple years later, he's up in double-A. Last year, he's up. He's in double-A posting a sub-one ERA, moves up to triple-A. He's doing the same thing. And so he just kind of stormed up uh, stormed up the upper minors last year and then did make his uh, debut in September. But he, he grabbed the last spot in the pen out of spring this year, uh, and he has been – hands down the best guy out there. He started the year by setting a major league record for uh, stranding inherited runners. He stranded the, his first 35 inherited runners to start the season. That broke the old record of uh, 34 by one of our division rivals, Frank Francisco, when he was on the Rangers. And you think about that record, um, you know, you think about the things you want out of a reliever and you want him to strike a lot of guys out and keep the ball out of play. You want him to keep the walks down, keep those base runners down. But, the thing that goes so unnoticed so much time is those inherited runners because they don't show up on the guy's ERA. So he's got this great ERA and these great personal numbers. But then when you look back, it cost him a lot of games maybe because he always blew you know, uh, the situation that he was given. It just went on someone else's record. So you get a guy like Dole and you, just, you bring him in and you're like, that's it. These guys aren't going to score. Um, it, it means he's quietly playing an even bigger role than it looks. You know, he's got amazing, amazing numbers just on the surface. And then to add on that extra thing in the back of your mind, like, by the way, he's also not screwing over anyone else's record. He is, he was a borderline all-star this year. If you believe that middle relievers can be all-stars, which they can now, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he's got Dole. Uh, Liam Hendricks started the year absolutely awful. He was a big uh, off-season acquisition, and he has come on great. Since he returned from the DL uh, a couple of months ago, middle of June, I think, He's he's just he's putting up a sub two ERA. He's not walking guys anymore. Striking out about it. He's been the guy that we thought he would be, uh, and his overall season numbers are starting to come back into focus towards where they should be. Uh, those those two at this moment are guys that I've had on. Daniel Coulomb is another guy, a very unknown lefty, um, who put up some pretty amazing numbers in the minors this year, and now I think he's looking pretty serviceable. Uh, we're just talking about a middle reliever, but. Uh, pretty good one. So, like on the other parts of the team, they're trying out some guys right now, and uh, fortunately, a couple of them are really working out. Well, Mariner fans are really looking forward to this series in contention here. It should be a fun one from Oakland. Thanks, Alex. This was great. It's always fun to catch up. Uh, I enjoy the conversation. I enjoy your insights, and I recommend highly you want to learn more about the A's, the place to go, athleticsnation.com. Thanks so much, Alex. Appreciate it, as always. Hey, thanks a lot, Gary. And now a great conversation coming up. Here's Aaron Goldsmith. Very excited right now to be joined via Skype by Noel Sevilla, who is the Mariners Area Scouting Supervisor for South Florida, for Puerto Rico, and also the U.S. Virgin Islands. Noel is joining us from his home in Miami, and he is the scout responsible for signing Edwin Diaz. Noel, before we talk about Edwin's phenomenal debut earlier on the homestand, can you take us back? What are your first memories of watching Edwin pitch in person? Well, uh, thanks for having me, Aaron. Uh, wow, that was back uh, his jun- junior year in high school. Uh, he was an underclass uh, player. Obviously, uh, we were focusing on the 2011 draft guys, and uh, and it struck my attention. You know, wiry kid, uh, live arm. Uh, he'll come and relieve. Back then, you know, you can dis- disregard that kind of talent, even though it wasn't for that year's draft. And um, one thing I want to mention to you that really struck me about him, his confidence, uh, looseness. He really loves the game, and he was out there having fun. 
It's interesting you bring that up, Noel, because we, we noticed that almost right away. In his debut, he had the mound presence and the composure of someone with infinitely more experience in the major leagues than he had at the time. But you're saying that you noticed that even as a junior in high school? Uh, yes. And uh, and again, you know, you keep a mental note of, of, of the underclass guys. And by the time their year comes in, you go back to your notes and you refer to that in – you know, it feels good. It's a good, good gut feel. Hey, I was right. What a sell back then. And uh, you never forget that. We continue our conversation via Skype with Noel Sevilla, the scout who signed Edwin Diaz. He's joining us from his home in Miami. Noel, Edwin is listed at about 6'3", 165 pounds. And I'm curious what his size was like when, when you first saw him, because certainly the size, his physical build does not stand out immediately. Um. His draft year, he was about 6'2", pushing 6'3", soaking wet, 160. <laughs> uh, but I'll tell you what, uh, that's, that's a powerful arm. And uh, I know uh, you heard it several times uh, throughout his pro- uh, professional career. He doesn't have the most conventional delivery. But if you pay attention to the arm action, it's like playing catch with a good whip at the end. You know, so... And he had that, obviously, uh, pitching at that age back then. He had no professional instruction whatsoever. Um, there was a lot of moving parts, as we call it, uh, in his delivery. But the arm always was there. You know, the the lifeness, uh, the projection, and also the life of his fastball. He had movement. That, that's one thing he, al- he always had, movement on his pitches. What was his velocity like in high school compared to what we see now? Uh, he'll see 91, 93, 94. Um, There's a big tournament in the island called the Excellence Tournament. Basically, the last look before the draft on the Puerto Rican players. And uh, he came in relief. And he was teammates of uh, Berrios, Orlando Berrios, uh, Minnesota Twins pitcher. Carlos Correa, that was a dream team put together for that age. And uh, first pitch, uh, 97. You know, everybody's looking at each other. Hey, did you get that right on your gun? We had to double check with the other scouts, and uh, and obviously the adrenaline, the the, the importance of the tournament. Uh, but he stood out. That was the fastest I saw him ever before the draft, uh, 97. But usually 91, 93. Noel, I'm very curious to learn where you were when you were watching Edwin make his debut earlier in the week, and what it was like for you watching this young man who you first saw when he was a junior in high school. Pitch on a big league mound. Well, uh, I'll tell you what, very uh, goosebump uh, experience. Uh, I'm sitting with my wife and my three-year-old boy, and we're watching it. Uh, I wasn't expecting that villa right off the gate, you know, and uh, especially the location of the pitch. You gotta, you, you can't forget that, you know, it was a perfect uh, delivery pitch, and uh, he just his composure on the mound, he slowed, he slowed things down, and. And he took advantage of it. You know, it was uh, one thing. Uh, I, I just spoke to him uh, a couple of hours ago. And uh, th- that's one thing he employed in double A. Last year in double A, he was pitching to miss bats. And that's, that's why he got he, he got in trouble. You know, double A guys, they're more experienced. Uh, they have a great idea at the plate, what they want to do with the pitches. So, And then the moment he started pitching to contact, he got better as the season went along. So that that, that was the approach this year, too. Uh, pitching to contact, hit it, 
you know, and he did the same thing uh, the other night against Cleveland. You know, Noel, I'm so glad you brought that up because that's such an interesting point. We heard him in his post-game comments after making his Major League debut. Reporters, and I think we can all understand why, they were excited to talk to him about his first Major League strikeout, especially since it was a fastball at 100 miles an hour. But one of Edwin's first comments was, it was great to get my first strikeout, and it was great to get my first ground ball out in the major leagues. He got two of them, both went to Seager at third base. So it sounds like, based on what you're saying, that this is a very deliberate thing for Diaz, despite his plus velocity. Uh, he wants to get ground ball, he wants to get outs on the ground as well. Oh, absolutely. You know, uh, uh, the fans, people think that because you're a flamethrower, you're supposed to miss, miss all the bats, strike guys out every time out. Uh, you have some so many bullets left in your arm, you know. So you want to be uh, smart, uh, get the quick out when you need it, get the strike out when you need it, and, and that's his mentality. Can you give us an idea as to what baseball in Puerto Rico is like and its importance to the people there? We we know so much now with the influx of talent from countries like the Dominican Republic, from Cuba as well. And we are seeing some very, very bright young stars. We've mentioned some of them, Francisco Lindor, Barrios, Correa as well, and now Diaz coming from Puerto Rico. Can you give us an idea as to what baseball is like there? Yeah, well, uh, growing up in Puerto Rico, especially in the in the 80s, when you had that, that influx, the Alomar brothers, Juan Gonzalez, uh, Pash Rodriguez, so forth, they used to sign as a free agent, sort of, like the, the, in the Dominican and Venezuela nowadays, at 16, once you turn 16, uh, you didn't have to finish high school. And they'll sign right away and be on their way. Uh, that changed in 1989. That's when Puerto Rico became part of the draft. And, uh, and, and you, you'll notice a big reduction of major leaguers for some reason. Um, one thing I can tell you, this is my sixth year with the Seattle Mariners, uh, sixth year going to Puerto Rico. They are they're good athletes. They don't play as much baseball as in the States. I mind you, they have the 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 great weather to do that all year round, but it doesn't work that way. Uh, they only play two games a week, usually a doubleheader over the weekend, uh, team practice. So you compare that to the the kids in the states, especially in the uh, in the warm states like Florida. Those guys are year round on the field. Uh, playing high school games three, five times a week, uh, team practice, individual practice. So they're more advanced on that on on that aspect. Uh, that's why you're seeing a slow um, promotion on players signing out of Puerto Rico. Uh, however, um, Francisco Lindor, Javier Baez, those guys, they grew up in Puerto Rico, but they moved to the States after their sophomore year. So they graduated out of Florida, and uh, and and they became part of that Florida trend, you know, be on the field every day, the competition. So the more you play, the better competition you play against, the better you're going to get. And that's one thing in Puerto Rico they're lacking of, uh, the competition and the lack of games. Now, as the time we're, at the time we're recording this right now, Noel, we are a day away from the draft, less than 24 hours, in fact. What is dra draft day like for you? Well, it's uh, Christmas in, in June. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, we go, I'll tell you what, personally, I don't mind driving. Uh, I have South Florida, which is half of the state south. Uh, I can go to Orlando, Melbourne, back and forth every day. That doesn't, 
doesn't put any strain on me. The most stressful part of the year is this time of the year. Uh, you want to get the players' signability correct. Uh, make sure that this is what they really want to do. Uh, they're making a commitment. The uh, team is making a commitment with them. So we, we have to be 300% sure, hey, we're getting the, the right guy. So you got to go with your gut feel and do your homework. Well, we, we wear many hats. We're scouts, psychologists, investigators. <laughs> I'm sure you heard that, but it's true. You know, uh, it takes a lot of getting to know the player, the, the situations, the background. That's what we do home visits in the off season get to know the player you know we go to their houses so that's their environment we, we, we want them to to feel comfortable and uh we get to see how they react we want to know who they're going to call when things are not going right their first year in pro ball what's going to be the uh, uh chain of support and and that's you know the the higher and above they can make a sound decision on who they need to take in the draft on a yearly basis are you writing up a report on hundreds of players or thousands of players? Uh, well, on the amateur side, um, it's a smaller area. So usually, in, including players from out of the area, they come to, to my area. The, the better ones, um, on average, I write uh, 60 to 80 reports on the amateur side. Then uh, we have a, a pro, pro assignment. We cover the minor leagues in the summer for potential trades on the deadline uh, the deadline and you might get five to seven teams assigned so seven five times 25 players so you get over 100 players but you got to write in in the summer the same thing with the major league club we have a september uh major league assignment we got to see in my case i'm in miami so i'll see the marlins i'll sit there for five days to scout the team i make my my reports, my recommendations, uh, who should we target? Yeah, there's a possibility to make a train in the offseason or next summer. So, yeah, so hundreds. Of <laughs> I this say case. so. Uh, and not only that, uh, we also, you write a lot of follow-ups in the summer. So I could write 300 follow-ups. I might end up writing only 60, 70 of them. But the follow-ups, uh, they start in the summer, and it follows you throughout the year. So you say, oh, this is not the same guy I saw in July. So let's move on to the next guy. But uh, it's, it's a lot of writing, no doubt about that. So you told us about how emotional you were watching Edwin Diaz make his major league debut the other day for the Mariners. Is there a player that you've been most proud of that you can pinpoint that you scouted, the Mariners signed and has made his debut? that has made you feel as on top of the world as that player? Or is, is Diaz the guy? Is he the top of the list? Uh, yeah, the Diaz, obviously, my first major leaguer. So that's always going to be special. He was the first player that you signed that has made it to the major leagues? Uh, correct. Well, that's congratulations. That's fantastic. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. And uh, you know what? Uh, it's more special because uh, I saw where he came from. Uh, what he had to go through, uh, and it happened very quick, you know. Uh, especially uh, the way we call players projects. You know, you have to wait. Uh, the physical maturity, the skill maturity, it takes uh, four or five years. And uh, but the, his aptitude, uh, his uh, hunger, he wanted, he wanted to do. It. He wanted this more than anybody in the world. 
I think, uh, helped him to, to achieve his dream quicker. Noel, this has been so enlightening, and we are so appreciative of your time, especially on the eve of the Major League Draft. We know this is about as busy of a time as it can be for a man in your line of work. We're so grateful for all your insights. Thank you so much for joining us, Noel. No, thank you. Uh, again, uh, it's a very exciting moment, a very exciting season for us, and uh, we got plenty of time. We're gonna be we're gonna be well when it's all said and done. Looking forward for it. Pitch on the way to Carlos. There's a bump up the first baseline. The Mariners are on their way to the American League Championship. A beautiful bump by Carlos Guillen. The Mariners sweep the Chicago White Sox. My, oh my, I don't believe it. The Mariners make the White Sox go down three and out. A perfect drag bunt up the first baseline by Carlos Guillen. See you later!